Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangibondnetwork.com. You can look them up, and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile-friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. tangibondnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. On this week's episode... We're back at Retro City Games with Douglas Hoyabu and I sharing our thoughts on the best and worst video game console launches. Then Josh Peterson, author of Vendetta Dark, steps in as we talk about a possible January movie battle between the Underworld and Resident Evil series. Is it the end for both as their lead actresses lead these hit movie franchises, or is there more left to share in these universes for audiences to care about down the road. Then Mike Crockett and the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, from a wrestling podcast about nothing, stop by to talk the WWE and their recent brand split. Has it worked so far? And what does the future hold for sports entertainment fans as we head into another WrestleMania run? All this, plus a taste of the roundtable discussion from PAX earlier this year, as some of the brightest independent video game filmmakers talk about the stories they aim to tell their audiences. It's another packed house as we ring the bell. On another great show as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hi again, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Cosmos right here. Once again, recording from our good home at our good friends, that Retro City Games. Retro City Games. Retro City Games. <laughs> it's Doug right here. Douglas Hoyabu. Hola, everyone. Oh, co-owner of Retro City Games, along with Nicole Galgazian, who's hiding continuously. <laughs> I'm trying to get her on the show, folks. I swear I am. She's stubborn. She's stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> she will make an appearance somehow in some form or fashion in an f- episode. I, I <laughs> will try. But once again, I want to thank you for again for listening to us and watching uh, also as well here right here on Facebook Live on the Retro City Games Facebook page. Also remember to check us out for our radio version on Podcast Radio Network. Glad to be back on the air this Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Tangent Bound Network, the ESO Network, which has our shows, the latest shows also as well, online. Uh, and then catch us also as well you can on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Podcast.com, and of course the last three episodes are always posted on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So it's a great time of the year. Uh, so there's no excuse not to listen to us. There is no excuse <laughs> not to listen to us or watch us, like I said, on the Retro City Games Facebook page or on Pop Culture Cosmos YouTube page. And maybe in the coming weeks, uh, I heard rumors as well, we may be on even another video format as well. So we truly appreciate you watching, truly appreciate you listening to us. It's Pop Culture Cosmos again, and it is... Well, we're in November now. It's I know. deep it's in the heart of November. It is AAA time mm-hmm. because all the big releases are coming out. And also as well, a recent release is the PS4 Pro, yep. which doesn't really count as a console launch, but it counts as kind of as a console launch. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I had one pre-ordered and canceled it, um, mainly because I, I want to pick it up later, maybe for a little bit less than the $400 price point or possibly with a game. Um, 
I don't have a 4K TV. Uh, I wanted it for the VR experiences, which we talked about last time I was on your show, um, that I'm thoroughly enjoying. And I've seen what it adds to that. And I'm excited about it, but $400. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that's. I mean, and I also expect, like we talked about before the broadcast, I think at some point in time, Sony will reduce the price before Scorpio hits next fall. I'd be shocked if we didn't see it under 3 um, by the time that happens, yeah. I think probably you know February March when we had those like those smaller tentative price drops, we'll probably see a three fifty, maybe a maybe even a four hundred with a two game bundle like they've done in the past. Yeah. Um, but I I very much see by the time Scorpio comes out because of the rumors of how expensive Scorpio might be because of the hardware they're putting in it. Um, I hope they're not pulling a, a Sony circa PS three launch, but um, yeah, I, I could definitely see it a, a sub like a two ninety nine price point. Well, it sounds like to me that people are going to really start getting into 4K television. It's now the hot thing as far as electronics are concerned. Yeah. And now we're finally starting to see some, a little bit of a trickle, of 4K support from not only cable, not only satellite, but also as well. I'm starting to see 4K Blu-ray starting to be advertised now. It's now starting to become a thing. Uh, Netflix, so, Netflix kind of jumped on it pretty early. They have a pretty, yes. they have a decent library of 4K streaming. But you need the internet to support that. You need the a lot of things that are add-ons to the television and that service that you need. So it, I think it's kind of it's it's still a tough sell for some people, especially with HDR, which it we is, can talk it about is later. Because but. not everybody has access to it yet. Exactly. So, but then again, they were saying that about 1080p and then 720p, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it, every time it cycles up, it takes a little while for the casual market to get to it but once they do they get they you know get into it in spades i'm just worried because this is a little different uh, the the 4k jump has a lot more things you have to look for and things that change that experience than i think like the 1080p market did i mean we can look we can talk about hertz and um contrast ratio and things like that in the last generation of 10 or tv especially the 720 to, to 1080 jump yeah. um especially in the, in the p variety but the problem, I think, with this is the HDR. Is you're seeing, we were talking about this earlier, there's a lot of great 4K TVs that are going on sale that aren't HDR enabled. And that's a big difference, especially when you look at something like the Pro that was built around the idea of 4K HDR. I, I've debated this with a few people, but at, at this point, I feel like if you're not going to spend the extra money on an HDR enabled TV, you can get almost a better bang for your buck at the moment with a 1080p set. Exactly. So I, that's I, what I, I think I, we're. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. I think that's I think that's kind of the issue. I think a lot of people are struggling with is do you spend the even just six, seven, eight hundred dollars on an amazing 1080p TV, or do you spend the the same money on an okay 4K TV? So we talked about the PS4 Pro kind of being like a console launch, but uh, same with the Slim, I guess. Same with the which Slim. Which we keep everybody keeps trying to talk about. Yeah. But. That's, so so tell me, note to me some of your favorite console launches of the past. Because I know uh, Xbox recently celebrated its anniversary, PS3, Wii, they all celebrate their anniversaries as well. Uh, a lot of consoles have released during the course of, of November because it's at that height of the shopping season. So tell me about some of the uh, the best console launches that you remember that, so, that, that stick out in your mind. So a lot of people that, um, the, the two they are both actually, and I think it's part of what made me a little bit of a, I don't want to say fanboy, but a fan of it is... Um, I'm a big PS2 fan. A lot of people, almost everybody that knows me knows I love the PlayStation 2. And really? I didn't know I, that. Not at all, right? Um, and for me, it was a... I heard you like the Vita too, although, you know, a, Rob a, says you may not. A little bit, right? Just, just muy poquito. But the, uh, <laughs> um, when, when the PS2 came out, um, I think it was 12, 11 or 12, maybe 12, I think. And um, I had a Super Nintendo. I didn't have an N64. I didn't have a PlayStation. Didn't have a Dreamcast. All my friends did. You always had that friend that had all these other things, and I used to play all the consoles, so I was still stuck in the 16-bit era at home. Um, I had a little bit of PC games to play off of, but it wasn't the same as the consoles at that time. And uh, it, they were sold out everywhere, I was begging my parents for one, and it, everybody was like, no, no, no. And then on Christmas morning, my parents surprised me, and I had a PlayStation 2. Caught you hook, line, and the singer. Oh, and I, I sat there for probably three days straight, did nothing but play Tekken Tag Tournament. That was the only game they could find at the time, and really the only game in... Games were sold out everywhere. And um, it, it just... It, I don't know, it just... It, I hadn't had... And at the time when it came out, the, the graphics and the immersion and just everything about it... The, the, the scope of the games was so much different than what we'd had before. Even the Dreamcast was great, but the PS2, I felt, just put it to that next level. And so it just kind of stuck with me. And I remember when the, um, leading into my adult life, when the, when the PS3 came out, 
Um, that was the first console I quote unquote camped for. Yeah. Um, it wasn't at launch because I knew that was impossible. I wasn't going to be there days before. But um, when I had a buddy that worked at Best Buy, and there was the second shipment coming in, and he kind of gave me the heads up, hey, I have the invoice right now. They're coming in tomorrow. So we're getting like seven. So if you want one, you got to be here like now. <laughs> so I got off work, um, went down there, and a bunch of my friends and I, we all camped out all night at Best Buy. And, oh, that's cool. You know, so that, that was to me, that was just, it was more than about the, the console itself. It was about the whole experience of getting it. And it was freezing out here because even though we're in a desert, at nights it gets quite cold in <laughs> November. <laughs> so uh, I remember for I've told you the story about me and PlayStation 3 where we were at uh, Kmart and there was only three available. An entire store of people were waiting for a raffle off as far as who would get the chance to get it. And uh, I had a group of about seven people. And when they called the number, it was my niece. And she screamed, I won! I won! I won! I can't pay for this. It's $700. Here you go, Uncle Gerald. And it's like that. you know. That's, so that worked out there. One of my favorite console launches was actually like the one that you know recently celebrated an anniversary, the original Xbox. Because something that doesn't get talked about enough as far as a console uh, mover, one of those killer apps, as they say, Xbox is one of those rare occasions where it had a game that was a quote-unquote killer app in Halo. Halo. And I think for me, buying one at that time, around the time in the early months, that that's what it sold me was that that fantastic game that it was because it still even holds up today even it on does. the part of the Master Chief collection as far as how good a narrative it is comparative to most video games even today. Well, it gave you just enough of that world to make you go, what else is there? And then you, you could play it through two, three, five, ten, twenty times and find more little things and things started to fit together and you started realizing how big and really well thought out the universe was and I think that's part of the reason it's been such a successful franchise exactly exactly so tell me about one that another one that sticks out for you as hard as so um because i have one as well as well that i wanted to share but go ahead not that i'm the the biggest fan of the console uh, nicole's a huge collector of it um the nintendo wii i was gonna actually, say that yeah working at um i was working at game crazy when that came out i were i started just after it was, it was a second job for me so it was only about 10 to 20 hours a week depended on the week but what was interesting about it is a we couldn't keep them in stock and I mean, months after it came out, could not keep them in stock. I would, I still have never seen anything like it. I remember that as well, running a game crazy too here. But what was what was interesting to me was all the people coming in that didn't play games, but they wanted a Wii. It was the the grandmas and the grandpas, the moms, the dads. Yeah, yeah, it was the people who they played a Wii at a friend's house and they go, "This Wii Sports thing is great." I think the idea of it coming with a, a game like that. It was kind of like a Super Mario World type thing. It got it captured everybody. I even had my, my some of my employees were you know I let them they asked me and I gave them permission. They would go, "Hi, thanks for choosing Game Crazy. My apologies, but we unfortunately do not have Wii's at this time because click. Click, because <laughs> you would get anywhere from twenty to thirty to fifty, almost like as many messages you get at yeah. Retro City Games <laughs> here a day." Asking for the Wii, and when you're only allotted what two to five a month. It was first come, first serve. People would try to make deals, back-end deals for them, and oh, try yeah. to offer you things. It was just like, it was crazy because, it, you know, it was just over this, you know, $250 box. And that also did have one of the, again, one of the very few occasions it did have a killer app. Now, people don't really think that on some occasions, but when you're talking Wii Sports, Wii Sports to a casual audience was a killer app. Well, and even still now, I mean, if I have Wii Sports in stock, I sell more Wiis, even now. And we sell our Wiis, I feel, pretty cheaply. And it's still it's still a console that moves fairly well. But the second I stick Wii Sports next to it or bundle it in with it, it's it's the same day type of thing. Yeah. It, people still like and want to play that experience. Uh, indeed, because it's, you know, for that, it's, for what it does, it, it's just really a fun experience as well for getting some people together to play uh, uh, Wii Sports or any of the really interactive games that it, that it offered. Well, and it's so it's so universal. I mean, Wii Sports is one of those things. There's enough games on there that everybody likes one of those sports. And there's enough where you can literally play all the games from sitting on the couch to you can stand up and pretend you're the actual person. And there's enough, in most of the games, there's enough of a... Um, a, a a skill barrier, I guess I should say. Like, so there's enough where the casual person can come in and compete and play and have fun. They're not going to do terrible. But if you really practice at it, you can actually be better at the games. Yeah, yeah, and I so I think that really kept people engaged with it until bigger 
games came out. Some of the ones that were not so memorable as far as console launches in my mind, PlayStation 3, I think, sticks out. Uh, Xbox 360, um, I'd probably say that sticks out as well for, for certain reasons. Uh, I don't. I think they wanted um, uh, Perfect Dark, Perfect uh, Dark uh, to be that killer app, and unfortunately, I played it, got it, uh, a 360 early on as well in this life cycle, and and unfortunately, like for many people, uh, Perfect Dark did not endear itself to me. There's an arrow telling you where to go. Exactly. I mean, so, <laughs> literally. The the multiplayer was was all right. But the, the single player narrative was was pretty bad, and obviously comparing itself to the N sixty four, as far as version of it, it was pretty much not 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 a comparison at all. Well, Microsoft spent all that money on Rare, and then didn't utilize any of their IPs. I mean, until really until recently now. Yeah. I mean, we had. I mean, even on the three hundred and sixty, you had Viva Pinata. Um, but I mean, they they just kind of said. I mean kind of a Banjo and Kazooie game not a nuts and bolts kind of thing and they started making Kinect games I mean you that, kinda, was, that was the <laughs> problem when they started going to Kinect games possibly being the worst console launch you know PlayStation 3 possibly especially because oh. the high price A and B the, the launch lineup was really not that great of a, a selection is concerned it sold well it just didn't, it didn't have the software to build hype yeah I think they were really banking on Resistance and while Resistance I, I really like the game it's not for everybody. No, it's, no, it definitely wasn't a pick up and just run and gun. It was. It wasn't a Halo. It wasn't something that was going to grab you and easy to play and jump into. Um, and yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, we had like Genji and stuff like that, but those were more specific titles for a specific genre of people. Um, for me, and I get beat up on this a lot. It's the N sixty four. Like even as a kid, I mean, my friend, and I know you will get probably beat up on it even more. Yeah, uh, I mean. It launched. I mean, it, obviously, you know, it was it was amazing with um, Mario sixty four and GoldenEye and some other later hits. But later, that was the issue. Is at launch, I believe, and I, I could be wrong, but I believe there were only two games actually day one. I believe Pilot Wing sixty four was it Wave Race or no? I think Wave Race came out the week after. Okay, I, be- I believe when it when it first came out, there were two games. I, I could be wrong, but it was very limited either way. We we're talking about maybe three, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I remember a friend had it and we loved it. it. Was oh my oh my this is a 3D you know experience it was the first real 3D experience. Yeah, you know I played things like Doom and stuff like that, but it wasn't a 3D character and it wasn't it wasn't the same thing. And I'm not gonna say we got tired of it, but we were waiting for something else. We were playing it and we played so much of that game, but yeah, we were we were really waiting for the next thing to come out, and it kind of. Killed our hype, and we were playing more Super Nintendo a week later than we were N64, and that was kind of bad looking back on it. <laughs> That's probably the best sign that you can say uh, for something as far as what speaks most about a console launch. When you're playing the previous system more than the current system, uh, the new system that you just got, that, that speaks volumes. And I think a lot of people said that with the PlayStation 3, is that they went back to the PlayStation 2, or they bought the PlayStation 3 only because they could get the backwards compatibility of the play that the PlayStation 2 was supposedly offered as an emulator in there. So, Well, even even this generation, I mean, to touch on a couple more, I mean, the as much as I love the console, the, the Wii U, I mean, a couple weeks in, there, you could find Wii U's almost anywhere. Well, I was, think on launch day, you could find Wii U's anywhere. Yeah, it was, it was pretty... I remember seeing it on the shelf, pictures of it on shelves at Walmart and whatnot on launch night. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, people still, and I know I've said this before, people still think that the Wii U is an attachment for the Wii. They think it's an add-on. And people, most people were done with the Wii years ago and don't want anything. So it's like, what is this? I know they have the Wii U for the Wii. I get that all the time. So what's this new console they're talking about? So people literally, there's a whole group of people who are excited about the Switch, but have no idea the Wii U existed. And that yeah. blows my mind that it's that bad of a marketing campaign and had that bad of a just a presence. Like, and now you see why that the success of the Wii U was was very fleeting at best, and unfortunately for the Wii U, it's uh, already I believe stopped in production, and I think that's the latest rumors that it that it w- was stopped in production in Japan. And Japan, I think they've confirmed it stopped production. In yes, because I know there was rumors that they were saying yes and no and yes no. Uh, it looks like it's going to be the Switch, which has a lot of hope. So I'm hoping, on that note, 
that the Nintendo Switch's uh, console launch will be a lot better than the Wii U's. Um, and also as well, I'm, I'm hoping that the Scorpios launch next fall and they'll take some lessons from what you're saying about the PS4 Pro not having enough titles that you see should be available for it, correct? I agree. And I think Microsoft, I, I know they've had a few months of, of solid sales, but they have a lot of catching up to do. Um, as much, I, Everybody thinks because I'm, I'm such a big PlayStation fan that I'm rooting against other consoles. I'm not. I, we need... You know, we need that console, not parity, but we need competition. Yeah, you need the competition. You need everybody picking each other up. And, you know, if there's no competition, everybody lacks. Um, Even, I mean, I have have an Xbox One now, but that's another launch that was kind of okay. Again, I mean, even the PS4 to an extent, like, the lack of games at launch was kind of... I agree with you on that one. I was so... I bought one because of Killzone. I'm a huge Killzone fan. I really wanted to play Killzone. And after that, I played Wolfenstein? Which was months later when I really played it. I, I mean, again, I'll play my PS3 more than I'll play my PS4 when it came out. This, I guess, this whole console generation, it's in as a whole, wasn't as exciting as I hoped it would be. Up next, Josh Peterson, author of Vendetta Dark, and I discuss the Underworld and Resident Evil movie franchises, and ask if audiences will still keep coming back for more. Available now on the Tangent Bound and ESO networks, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play podcast.com and of course every monday night on the podcast radio network this is the pop culture cosmos what's up guys it's rob mccallum host of the trenches if you don't know what that is well i'm gonna tell you every now and then i call up friends colleagues and sometimes people i don't even know and chat with them for an hour or so it's all unscripted unedited and unpredictable why should you care Well, if you're a creative person like me, you'll get to hear unbelievable and incredible stories because the one through line that connects all my guests is that they make their living doing something creative in the trenches. Get it? So from filmmakers to animators to action figure sculptors and authors, we talk with a lot of folks and no one has the same story. So check out The Trenches here on the Pop Culture Cosmos or on iTunes. And we're back here at Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford, also from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, along with my good friend Josh Peterson, author of Vendetta Dark Center Space, and the director of Ghost Toasters, which you can see right now on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Just want to again give a great shout out to all of our good friends that help make Pop Culture Cosmos. If you have not checked out the Wine, Women, and Words podcast, you got to check it out. It's available on YouTube today. Wine, Women, and Words. The ladies do a great job discussing the literary world. RobMcCallumFilms.com for all the latest and greatest on all of his great projects out there. RobMcCallumFilms.com. Take a look from all the stuff he's working on from Box Art, the docuseries, to Kitty, the documentary. Also, his, his big hit, Nintendo Quest the Nintendo Quest Power Tour DVD, and also his latest being shopped around at at festivals all over the world. It is Missing Mom. It has garnered numerous awards. And for more information on that, want to check it out. All of his great projects at robmccallumfilms.com. Mario Party Wars, our good friends, Mario Party Wars on Facebook. For anything Mario Party, as far as related to that, they do tournaments. You want to check it out on Twitch. Uh, also as well they do a lot of streaming events and they are heavy into board gaming so if you want to know more about the board gaming scene and you have a question check them out today mario party wars on facebook game source it all started from game source as far as our look at the video game world check it out game source on facebook and at game source on twitter where we post each day of articles and things and topics related to the video game world so you want to check that out Game Source on Facebook and at Game Source on Twitter. And of course, once again, my good friend Josh Peterson, the author of Vendetta Dark, which you can get today on Amazon.com. So I think people have seen the trailers already, at least to start off with. But if you haven't, Pop Culture Cosmos, if you scroll down on Facebook, we've actually uh, shown from time to time and, and shared from time to time the actual trailers for both movies upcoming. But January is going to be a little bit interesting with a couple movies that are coming out so it's going to be a battle of long-standing franchises and the last of the resident evils and i say that in quotations as i'm doing a so because i'm not totally believing that it will be done and 
maybe Mila Jovovich will be finished with it, but I don't think the series itself will be done. And then Underworld, which is telling people it's not exactly far from done yet. So your thoughts on both the Underworld versus the Resident Evil sagas, how they played out the way you thought they would. Do you think there's a future that's bright for both? Or do you think it's just going to be one just still standing supreme over the other for the years to come? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, well, I, you know, that's why I ask it. <laughs> we always ask the difficult questions. Um, yeah, it's uh, as Re- Resident Evil, I think they kind of reached the point where they're like, okay, you know, we're uh, people don't really take people kind of look at us now like the Fast and the Furious franchise. So let's go ahead and not take ourselves seriously and make a really cool movie. So if you're looking for something that doesn't exactly tell a story, but has a really attractive leading actress and a lot of action, then Resident Evil, actually I can say the same thing about Underworld. That's a really tough question. Um, <laughs> so obviously, uh, you know, I've, I've been following both of these movies. Well, since well, I I say, been... Excuse me for interrupting. My apologies. I say that because they're, to me, they're both, yes, they both have, they both branch out into different realms, but their basis on what they're created off, is, off of is fairly similar, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it both both takes place in like the, uh, you know, this that sci-fi world of monsters. It's not, it's, uh, they both started, They, I mean, when did they, they both kind of came out around the same time. So uh, obviously Underworld kind of is following a, a a really dark, more serious tone than Resident Evil is. Resident Evil is kind of dragged on from the first movie had a really like serious uh, tone to it, and then they kind of became more over the top as the uh, as the movies went on. I think that Underworld is still taking itself seriously, whereas Resident Evil, they're like, okay, this might be our last movie, so let's just have fun with it. So I I like them both, honestly. I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not going to be waiting in line at midnight to see either of them, but I think that Underworld has stated, the creators of Underworld have stated that this will be Kate Beckinsale's last movie and they're going to try to launch a new franchise featuring the, uh, what's that dude from Allegiant? I can't remember his name, but he was in the last Underworld movie. And then whereas Resident Evil is kind of unclear, they say this is going to be their last one, but uh, Mia Jovovich is not going to be doing any more of the movies. So I'm just going to say right now, this is the upcoming, the sixth entry for Resident Evil and the fifth entry for Underworld, just to give you an idea. Correct, correct. And I I mean, I the first two Underworld movies I loved. I can watch them over and over again. I was kind of upset when they didn't, when they kind of like, they didn't really give Scott Speedman's character a proper send-off. He's just unloading a boat and the boat exploded. The, uh... The movies are still fun to watch. I really don't know where the story's going to go because that's that's what's got me curious about both of these movies is that Underworld is kind of using this as a launching platform for a new like generation, kind of like what Independence Day tried to do. So it's uh, a lot of people have been trying the whole like passing the torch. Star Wars did it successfully, but with movies like this, uh, it, it's it's really hard to know. So I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I just have a my my opinion on it is I think both have just gone back and forth even during the course of those films as far as their their overlining narrative is concerned um, that's made it somewhat hard to follow especially the Resident Evil franchise which has either strayed far away from the video game you know series is concerned or tried to do its best to narrow itself in just doesn't seem like they know which direction they want to stay within you know, from a narrative point. Do you see either as, as achieving some type of success in a rebooted fashion? I don't because like what modern movie, like modern storytelling is just, it's a ploy to make money. There's not really any like deep story. The like underworld, the first, the first two kind of had a decent story. They kind of went in, they went in depth with the characters, like the origin of the vampires, but as far as I know, Celine had killed the original vampires and she wiped out most of that coven. So I don't know where all of these other vampires are coming from. They're just like magically there. And it's the same thing with Resident Evil. We They keep killing the person who was allegedly responsible for creating this virus, but 
in the trailer, they keep showing these people who she's killed over the years. They keep coming back. And, like, she killed their zombies, but the zombies keep coming back. So I don't know what she would call a zombie who has risen from the grave. It, it just it seems kind of contradicting to me. But it's fun to watch. So, you know, who am I to judge a story? I think audiences are going to become weary of, of both franchises. I think that's probably partially why both are, are debuting in January is because maybe the studios, even Sony, even after a billion dollars has been made on the Resident Evil franchise, that I think they're even unsure of what direction the movie series will go next. I know that it, even if it doesn't do well, that they will most likely try to reach back into the Resident Evil universe at some point in time because, like I said, they did make a billion dollars off it. So you know you can't you know excuse that point. With Underworld, it's really hard to tell because it has not placed as high as the Resident Evil movies, but on its own, it's done fairly well. I mean, it's done three, four hundred million dollars worth of, of business in and of itself as well. So you can't excuse that. So both series, I think they will try to do what they can to at least play it out for one movie after this before giving either a break anytime soon. Right. And do you know what probably, in, in my personal opinion, not just because I'm hating on it, but do you know what probably killed people's interest in vampire stories is Twilight. I think people looked at Twilight became a cultural phenomenon, and then people it became a cultural uh, cultural phenomenon to make fun of it. So therefore, people got kind of burnt out on vampires. And as cool as Underworld might be, I think that it's going to it's not going to do as well as people think it is. They're not doing anything new. I think that's the problem. They're not doing anything new. There's nothing cutting edge about these. There's no depth to these stories. I'm gonna go watch it because. You know, they entertain me, and the both leading ladies are not just talented, but they're, you know, fun to look at when they're killing things. But, uh, I, you know, I, I don't I don't see it making, you know, a whole bunch of money on box office returns. No, I don't either as well. There is to be uh, expected probably some diminishing returns with the series. But I think that they're both hopeful, both studios are hopeful that both series will maintain some sort of life with both the films that so that future movies in the series going forward or reboot or whatever it is they're going to do, because they're not just going to simply just end the series on either account. I don't imagine. I think they're both going to, they're going to try and squeeze every little drop out of it. Even if it goes to VOD, whether or not everyone likes it out there, I think the underworld and also as well, the resident evil series, even though they claim that they're going to be some of the last of them, especially in the Resident Evil, that they're a long way from being done, whether you like it or not. Up next, we have Brian and Mike from the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing as they stop by and talk some WWE right after the break. But first, a taste from a PAX 2016 roundtable with directors Rob McCallum from Nintendo Quest and Box Art, Daryl Rodriguez and Jeanette Garcia of World 1-1, and Richard James Cook from Surviving Indie and Pixel Poetry talk their thoughts on what it takes to share their stories to moviegoers. Welcome to our panel, video game documentary filmmakers, the stories we tell. Obviously, we're all video game documentary filmmakers, otherwise I don't know why else we would be up here. But in this panel, we're going to talk a little bit about not just um, the production of the stuff that we do, but also other ideas we'd like to see in film, and kind of just like behind the scenes stuff and also the value of telling stories from video games in video and in film and where that's going and, and all that. So before we get started on that, though, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. I'll go ahead and start. My name is Richard James Cook. I am a filmmaker with Devolver Digital. I uh, made a movie called Pixel Poetry most recently, and I'm actually just wrapping up my third documentary with them in November. So we'll be releasing that. And I'm also a um, kind of an indie game developer as well. Uh, if you guys get a chance, I'm chilling right now. Hold on. <laughs> if you guys get a chance, come play Battle Slots. It's in the Rooster Teeth booth. I worked on that game. Anyway, go for it. Uh, my name is Rob McCallum. I directed Nintendo Quest. I'm in production on a documentary in heavy metal band Kitty, Power of Grace, called a He-Man documentary. 
Uh, I have a film playing the festival circuit called Missing Mom right now, in which my brother and I try to track down our mom, who's been missing for about 25 years. And right now we're in production on Box Art, which looks at all the artists and illustrators responsible for the covers of all the games we loved and how that role and relationship has changed over the last five decades of awesome video gaming. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeanette Garcia. I'm one of the directors, writers, and creators of World 1-1, which was an early Atari documentary. Uh, we are currently picking up our business back in Miami. We have a videography business, and we're working on some script projects. Hi, my name is Daryl Rodriguez, and I'm basically Jeanette's assistant. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, I want to start out with a pretty straightforward question, but this could really breed a lot of talk. Why did we want to make video game films? What, what started that spark that said, I want to make a film that involves video games, whatever tale we're telling? Rob, go ahead. Well, it's the old adage, you know, do what you know, and when you can do something that you know, also do something that you love. And I've loved video games, and as you can tell by some of my other titles that I'm working on, He-Man and Heavy Metal, these are things that define who I am. So if I'm going to spend, you know, two to three years on something 16-hour days, it better be something you love, and video games has always been right up there. So that was the clearest indication of something that uh, the reason why I should pursue something. Um, so yeah, back in 2011, five years ago, I was reading this book, Replay, by Tristan Donovan, and f only five years ago was a time when you think, or at least I thought, like, you know, I, I love this book, but I want to see it as a movie or, or a TV show or a web series. And you think uh, today, if you say that today, there's a lot, a lot of video game documentaries, but just five years ago, there really wasn't that many. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it's, it's a still, like, a pretty small circle, like... As you know from trying to assemble this panel. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll just be straightforward. I, I almost had um, James and uh, Lizanne from Indie Game the Movie on the panel. Unfortunately, they're getting started on their project, so they were unavailable. And got stuck with me. Yeah, it's just and, and compromises and all that stuff. No, but um, to, the, to the topic at hand, I personally see video games as this thing that's come so far now that there's such a rich historical perspective to it that we can put into things like film and video where there's all these individual stories that are actually really, really interesting. It's not just about how video games came to be and stuff like that nowadays. Uh, we have those films. We have films about uh, eSports. We have films about indie game developers and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I think it's going to... I think it's really going to get a lot cooler because we have people like the Norm Caruso, who's the gaming historian on YouTube. Uh, we almost had him as well. But um, he, you know, he really, like, for me anyway, he really jump-started this idea of putting these mini documentaries together and telling these really interesting factual things um, about different things in, in video games. For more of this awesome panel discussion, head on over to Rob McCallum Films on YouTube today. We'll be right back. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Okay, and once again, welcome back to the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and I'm here today with two outstanding members of the pro wrestling community that's right the guys that host the awesome podcast that's available today on itunes that's also available on podbean and of course the podcast radio network our home as well you know how we are on at monday nights at 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific well they are the guys that are on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. They're the awesome guys from the wrestling podcast About Nothing. And they're Mike Crockett and Brian Malonis. How are you guys doing today? Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gerald. Excellent. Thanks, thanks for having us. I appreciate having both you guys on. There's been stuff I wanted to talk about for a long time now because I'm I'm trying to get uh, uh, some really knowledgeable people around about the sport of well okay I'm sorry see that's how that's how long it goes back for me <laughs> about professional wrestling you know and how we treat it as a sport or whatnot but as Vince McMahon would say the world of sports entertainment uh -huh. um, 
once again, this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We're available out there uh, as far as it's concerned on iTunes. We're also available as well on Stitcher. Uh, also as well, we're available on our good friends at Google Play. And catch us as well on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You guys, I've just just a great pleasure having you on. I'm telling you out, it's it's just awesome what's going on in the world of sports entertainment. But I want to talk today about the WWE. I guess when you talk sports entertainment and you talk professional wrestling, the WWE seems to dominate almost every conversation. I know that you guys talk a lot extensively about the WWE in your conversations. But tell us some more about, first off, about the wrestling podcast about nothing and, and get everyone clued in out there about your guys' awesome show. Okay, well, uh, this is Mike, and I am a professional wrestling referee. Actually, I haven't been doing it. I like to say I have had a extended hiatus. Uh, I haven't been doing it for a couple of years now. But um, I'm a referee, so I kind of have been doing it for... I started in 1998, so I've been doing that for a while. Uh, and the independent level, uh, people know about the WWE. The it's kind of like uh, AAA baseball. Uh, the independents, you know, and they pick, pick people for the independents to go up and become a part of the WWE someday. And uh, my buddy here, the Kingpin, uh, you're a professional wrestler, correct? <laughs> I'd like to fancy myself as one at least. Yeah, I started. <laughs> I started back in 2001. Uh, uh, so I've been doing it about 15 years now. Um, still active today. I'm not. I'm not on an extended hiatus like my good friend Mike here. Uh, wrestled predominantly here in the uh, in the Northeast. Oh, sweet. That's awesome for both you guys. If people want to catch you, Brian, amongst your many matches out there in the Northeast, how best to catch you, or what exactly what what uh, independent promotions should they follow you at, or is there a website they can catch up to date on all your matches? Uh, definitely listen to the WPAN because I always give my you know wrestling podcast about nothing. Uh, but yeah, I'm on Twitter at Brian Malonis on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Kingpin Malonis. Um, do a lot of work up here for uh, for Beyond Wrestling. Um, and if you want to see match my matches or lots of other great matches, you know uh, Beyond Wrestling has a uh, just an awesome. Um, you know, um, subscribe. You know, subscriber channel. Plus, they also put out lots of free content. Uh, just recently, wrestled Chris Hero for them. Uh, there's a big. That's a big name as well on the uh, independent wrestling scene. If, I, if I'm not, if I'm not correct. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe may, maybe the the name on the independents. But uh, I just recently wrestled him a couple of weeks ago. Also wrestled for Top Rope Promotions. You can check them out. Uh, they have they have a big social media presence as well. Uh, Atlantic Pro Wrestling, uh, who actually puts out their full shows on YouTube. You know every uh, every one of them. Uh, so search them on Atlantic Pro Wrestling. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. You've actually done some work for uh, WWE as well, Brian, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, a little bit here and there. Some some extra work. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, Gerald, but you're talking to uh, a couple of uh, former uh, WWE superstars. Not really. We were druids, but you know. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm I'm on. Then I'm extremely honored to be in both <laughs> your guys' presence. And uh, I know uh, our audience is 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 really. Uh, Basically, I'm just telling you, probably overjoyed as well because you know going back to that angle. Uh, I'm sorry, or that for for audiences that may not be uh, as familiar with that that storyline that that came up. Uh, the Druids actually probably one of the most successful uh, of that era of the of the many that were tried in during that period of time. So yes, the Undertaker. He is uh, one of the biggest and. Uh... He's, we've been thinking he's going to be retiring for about five years now, but it might finally happen this upcoming WrestleMania. He's one of the, uh, you know, the biggest, the more, probably the most successful um, gimmick ever in the WWE. Uh, Mike's being yeah, modest too, because we both of us have done um, extensive extra, I guess, work for WWE. Been backstage a number of times, and for you know, for people not familiar with that, is WWE when they come into a local market will will book. Um, a certain number of local talents for any number of um, a lot of times when you see security guards or cops or uh, druids or uh, guys that uh, you know are just getting the hell beat out of them on on TV. Those are usually local local uh, wrestling talents from whatever town they're in. Fair enough. Like the uh, recent discussion between Goldberg and also Brock Lesnar before their match took place, correct? 
Yes, yes, the uh, the security guards, yeah, separating them in the ring. Yes, those are all local talents from that area. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, uh, that's uh, that obviously must be a great rush indeed when when you're given the call and asked to work for the company as well. It, first off, I want to get out of the way that that I've been a professional wrestling fan, as I mentioned to you guys off air since since the uh, since the seventies, and uh, I've tried to follow it uh, uh, as best I can over the course of the years and whatnot. And, you know, how can you not say that the WWE, for all intents and purposes, has been the, the dominant leader within the industry for the past, uh, you know, at least 30 years beyond, even when it was the WWF now, as far as it's concerned. And, I, you know, lawsuit aside, I'm sorry to everyone with the World Wildlife Foundation, but even at that time, most people knew the WWF as the Rest- World Wrestling Federation. But, yes. you know, that. They won the they won the uh, the legal case fair and square. So the WWE it now is. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys your thoughts. This fall, the WWE made what many consider a big change as far as it's concerned, and actually something that they tried in the uh, last decade, which was a brand split. And I know on your show, you know, talking about the WWE a lot is something that obviously has come up from time to time. What are your thoughts, first off, on the brand split, um, which, uh, for those of you out there that may not be as familiar, is the two major shows for the WWE, for USA Channel, um, the SmackDown, of course, on Tuesday nights, and, of course, their biggest show, Monday Night Raw. They've separated rosters so that they will, for the most part, although, obviously, storylines do do come into play, uh, for the most part, the rosters have been separated for each specific show. And in fact, when they go out and tour now, they are brand-specific tours where you will see only X wrestlers that appear on X show, for instance. So I wonder your guys' first thoughts uh, on the WWE brand split itself. And has it uh, worked out to your guys' satisfaction so far? Mike, I'll, I'll start with you. Okay, well, um, I mean, for people familiar, people are all, all familiar with the Monday Night Wars, which was uh, the late '90s, you know, WWF versus WCW. That was a great period, probably the best period of time, in my opinion, for the the world of professional wrestling. Yes, and then once WCW uh, folded and WWF bought them up, um, as you said, WWE has been the dominant force, and so to create some sort of competition uh, among the you know it's one promotion it's kind of a monopoly but to create some sort of war they as you said they separated the rosters uh, they tried it once in the early 2000s and now since they moved smackdown to from thursdays to tuesdays they moved it from the sci-fi channel to usa and they moved it from tape to live they re- the usa really wanted to pump uh, the usa network really wanted to pump this thing up so they wanted uh, I think they had a lot of influence in making um, this brand split happen once again. And I, mean, I think on the surface, it kind of works. You know, if you want to see someone like John Cena, he's only on Tuesday nights on SmackDown. I mean, even though he's not around as much as he used to be. He's the biggest guy the past probably 10, 15 years. But he's not been around. He's doing a – he's hosting – a uh, reality show on Fox in its second season, American Grit. Uh, so he's not around as as much as he used to be. But you know, a guy like AJ Styles, who's uh, kind of come up uh, fairly quickly since uh, coming there from TNA, which is another independent promotion we'll probably uh, stay away from right now. But uh, yeah, if you wanted to see specific guys, now you have to go to these specific shows. Um, it has worked in a sense that I mean. Yeah, SmackDown has become a more viable uh, program. It's it's gotten bigger ratings since going live, since moving to Tuesdays, and since you know since uh, splitting the brand. But um, there's just so much product. There's they've actually even split the pay per views. So now on most months you have two pay per views. You have a SmackDown specific pay per view and a, a Raw, Raw specific. specific. Yeah, but I mean, and we say pay-per-views, but in actuality, it is all on the WWE Network, which is an over-the-top service. 
that you pay nine ninety nine a month for. Um, they still refer to them as pay per views, but I mean, you get them for nine ninety nine just by paying a subscription uh, through their uh, WWE subscription service. Because but, technically, um, it's still available for cable companies out there that decide to pick it up. Correct? Yes, yes, it is. But they, but they've plug so much they almost make you feel bad if you spend sixty dollars on it i, say, I know what you... i remember uh jbl constantly yes. uh referring to that yes yes so um there there's just so much content uh you know these two pay-per-views a month these two live shows a week i mean you're almost talking about you got four five six seven like nine hours a week of that there's a pay-per-view there's nine hours of of live programming a week and I don't know about you, Brian, but uh, it's it's like another full time job to keep up with all this stuff. So it is hard to to watch all this stuff. And um, I'd say the brand split split has been successful. Um, well, if they, like, if like you said, the end goal was to get SmackDown's rating up. Uh, SmackDown's ratings are now up to about around between two and a half million to two point seven million, which um, in the past, it was barely reaching two million, if I'm not correct, and has now made it probably pretty much as relevant as it, or almost as relevant as it was in the early days when it was on UPW. Is that correct? UPN, yes. Yeah, UPN, UPN. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. Uh, but like, like I said, it is just um, it, there's a much smaller uh, base, um, a much smaller hardcore crowd watching wrestling these days, and they are kind of milking these people for all they're worth it is it is really hard to um to keep up with everything it is really hard to um to really stay on top of it but i mean as you said i mean the the ratings are up and i think what they attempted to accomplish uh they accomplished in terms of making smackdown a more viable uh television product well i'm going to be honest with you guys I think that if the the brand split doesn't work, it's because of the 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 depth that it may not have, as compared to the last time they tried it, which I thought, as you as you mentioned, Mike, with the WCW acquisition, created a lot more depth in those rosters. So, Brian, I ask you, uh, do you see maybe an issue with that, or am I mistaken when I say that it may have even more depth today than it did back then? Well, I, I think I think it's a different sort of depth. Um, and the thing you hit on the uh, you know, nail on the head was when they acquired WCW, they just had this overabundance of not just talent, but like top level main event built up talent, like got you know guys that the audience viewed as you know top of the card sort of talent. I think the biggest problem now is I, not that there's a lack of depth because I think that there's a ton of talent on the WWE roster. It's how much of it have they built up to a main event, a true main event level. I think that's that's a great way to say it. I think that's an excellent way to say it. Yeah, I mean because I mean the, the one unfortunate, and they finally have started to now. But um, I mean, as evidenced by Survivor Series and the main event of Survivor Series, um, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. I mean, these are guys who who. You know, they were a one of the feature matches of WrestleMania 20, which was you know how, how many years ago now? John Cena has been on top for 15 years. Randy Orton, The Undertaker, still comes back. Um, and if you want my opinion, I think it's largely because I think that some of the depth at the top issues to me result from the fact that for a large you know being a guy trying to come up in this industry for a large period of time WWE ignored the independence if you were on the independence it was actually a detriment to you um and trying to make it they they went to outside resources outside of the wrestling industry uh for scouting talent uh they went pro football pro soccer actors um as far as uh you know people within the health industry is that correct from my uh, from my understanding yeah yeah they went more for just look uh, only rather than the total package sort of thing and but now you see um the guys who are coming up and and getting over and becoming big stars now i mean daniel bryan got hurt but daniel bryan from the independence seth rollins from the independence dean ambrose from the independence um AJ Styles from the Independence, Kevin Owens from the Independence. Um, so there's a, there was a lot of talent they ignored for a number of years that they could have cultivated and um, 
you know, and and push as big league talent. And what I think now is it's a, they're trying to make up for lost time. They're trying to build, uh, you know, a top of the roster. Um, and they're, and rather than being able to build one or two guys here and there, they're having to build a lot of guys at once. But um, overall, I, I do think the fact that they have opened up more to independent talent has has helped the product immensely. Excellent way to put it, indeed. So I agree with you on, on those points there. But when you guys are talking, we're talking about cultivating those young stars and whatnot. One of the places that they do it is at their new performance center, or their fairly new performance center in Florida, which is created in its own unique way uh, through the auspices of many call them Triple H, Paul Levesque, the NXT, and the NXT has now made itself into a third traveling brand, which at sometimes has popularity that rivals its two bigger brothers on the WWE Network. So I ask you guys, um, Mike, Brian, whoever wants to uh, comment on this first, do you think that the NXT having that as a third entity might help? Or does it in actuality hurt the two big rosters as far as Raw and SmackDown is concerned because you have to keep that as a viable traveling entity? Oh, it helps. I mean, the... The purpose of NXT is to get people ready for those spots on Raw and SmackDown, and it, the only difference is now they they put them on t they put them on uh, on the WWE Network rather than uh, keeping kind of behind closed doors. Um, all those guys that are actually um, getting to the top now, like your Kevin Owens and stuff like that, those are those guys that headlined NXT. Um, I don't think it's. I mean, it is it is a third touring brand. They did very well. They uh, they had one of their takeover special specials, which is like kind of um, a mini pay-per-view in its own right on the WWE Network. They had one uh, the same weekend as Survivor Series and in the same building that they ran the Survivor Series in. And it did uh, very well. It wasn't a complete sellout, but they had like, you know, they I think they announced 12,000 people there um, for the NXT show. And I mean, they... When they did the brand split, uh, you're talking about the thin rosters. When they did the brand split, they brought up a lot of talent from NXT, and I mean that NXT that is the lifeblood of uh, the WWE. Um, they have to keep that NXT viable. They have to keep um, recruiting talent, and they're they're continuing to do that. As Brian said, from the independent level, they've changed philosophies, and you know, thank goodness for a guy like Brian and and everyone else that's out there uh, busting their uh, butts in the independents to. Um, get a chance to go to NXT and possibly move up to one of these big companies one day. But I don't, I don't think it's a detriment at all to to WWE. It is it has been a, a big help, I would think, um, to have this third brand that is viable and it's it's kind of like the like the cool cousin of of WWE, of uh, Smack Raw and SmackDown. It's uh, and they're trying to make it like an ECW, like almost an underground brand. But it's—I mean—it's hard to do that when they're run by WWE. Run by WWE, but um, it is—it is its own viable entity in its own right. And I don't think it's necessarily competing with Raw or SmackDown in terms of numbers. But I mean, it is just a great alternative. If you were to rate it out as, let's say, you took it as a own separate promotion, I mean, right now in the U.S., maybe you would rank it as a number two promotion in the U.S. Would you not? Yeah, probably. I mean, but the, you know, the th- the thing is, it's that's great about that. I mean, they can go into these um, big arenas and and lose a lot of money, but it doesn't really matter because WWE is funding it. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. the other independents out there that are live and die by the next, uh, you know, the next um, uh, attendance number. You know what I mean? That's the guys from uh, wrestling podcast about nothing. It's, it's Mike and Brian. They run a great show. I want, uh, want to get everyone out there to understand it is, you got to listen to this show. It's an awesome show. It's available on iTunes, Podbean, and Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network. Any other outlets or any other things that you guys want to let the fans out there or let our listeners know out there about as far as your show and what it's about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what we try to bring is um, we try to bring something a little different. I think there's a lot of shows out there that, that kind of play Monday morning quarterback with, uh, with WWE. And while we do that a little bit, we try to bring a more positive spin on it and kind of use the combined you know 30 plus years of experience in wrestling to kind of give you a different perspective of 
here's why they might be doing that, or here's why they might be thinking that way, rather than just saying this stinks and uh, you know. Which sometimes there's a lot of negativity sometimes that permeates with with pro wrestling, and we're trying to not be so negative and trying to give a more positive spin and and maybe make you think about things uh, you know in a different way. Uh, we're also affiliated with a great website, bdaradio.com, where you can also find all our podcasts and uh, they do wrestling and uh, MMA MMA. Um, blogging as well uh i gotta be forgetting something here mike uh twitter and facebook we're on twitter at at the wpan uh facebook.com slash the wpan for wrestling podcast about nothing of course and yeah as you said itunes podbean also on stitcher like you are uh gerald and that's just about it yeah believe me guys i know as someone who's on seven different audio outlets and also has a website and, and also has facebook and twitter uh, I, I sign off every show going, man, I forgot something, you know, I forgot an outlet and you, and you don't want to do that because of all the great, uh, uh, ways people can hear you and also the great outlets that can hear you as well. I'd like to have you guys on, on, a, on another segment, uh, here, uh, in a bit talking about the rest of the, uh, the professional wrestling scene out there. The, uh, the scene that all, that you guys are, are also very much a bit a part of if that's okay with you guys. Sure. That'd be great. Absolutely. I want to thank Douglas Hoyaboo, Josh Peterson, and the kingpin Brian Malonis and Mike Crockett from the wrestling podcast About Nothing for stopping by on this week's program. If you have any questions out there, you can email us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or give us a shout out, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook or at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com